listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today we continue our series called Part of the Plan. Somebody say part of the plan. Part of the plan. plan. Last week we looked at how no matter where you are in life, every place is part of God's plan. And I showed you this last week that if God can start a worldwide life-changing movement from the small towns of Bethlehem and Nazareth, his son was born in the small town of of Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, if he can start a worldwide life-changing movement there, he can certainly accomplish his plan for your life no matter where you are at physically, no matter where you're at mentally, and certainly wherever you're at spiritually. You know... Church, your, your proximity to ideal circumstances is not as important as your proximity to Christ. And, and that's why it's so important for us to stay connected, to stay, stay connected in Christ. And, and today, church, I have this unique assignment to honor our staff and tie it into the second week of this series. And as I told you, I could talk for, for hours about them and brag on each one of them. Um, and, and, and I'm not going to just spend the whole sermon talking about them, however... There are key people that, that I'm going to read about out of God's Word that, that certainly describe our staff. I mean, they, they, they relate closely. Faithful people. Faithful people. And, uh, and so with all that in mind, I want to talk to you about people being a part of God's plan. People are a part of the plan. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, you're part of God's plan. Tell them that. They need to hear it today. Somebody sitting near you needs to know that they're part of God's plan. That God has a purpose for them, and God has a purpose for them being involved in others and their lives. From the beginning of humanity, church, God has recognized the need for man to live in community. It's God's design. You can't be an island out there all on your own. God has designed us to be in community. Listen to Genesis 2 and 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to, that he should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God looked at Adam's loneliness in the garden and said, this isn't good. He needs to be in relationship. And so God created humanity with this this need in our life that we must be in relationship. There was a horse pulling contest at a county fair. And what they would do is they they would strap the horses to a sled and they'd add weight to it to see which horse could pull the the most weight. And the first place horse at this county fair moved a sled weighing over 4,400 pounds. 4,400 pounds. The the first runner-up wasn't far behind it at 3,900 pounds. And so the first place and the second place owners, they got together and and their brains got to to thinking about this. And they wondered how much the, the, the animals could pull if they actually worked together. And so they, they strapped both horses together to the sled. They added weight. And to everyone's surprise, the horses were able to pull over 12,000 pounds. Two horses pulled over 12,000 pounds. That's over 3,700 pounds more than they could have pulled individually. And the point of that is there was strength in numbers. Church, God has designed us that way also. We're not meant to go through life alone. We are meant to be in fellowship, in communion with other believers. God has designed us in such a way that we're better together. 
God has designed us. Jesus even said this. He said, you're going to do greater things than I did while I walked the earth. The only way that we get to do greater things than he did as, is as part of the body of Christ. That the body of Christ, all of these believers, all working together for a common goal to, to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we all work together, Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than I did. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 says, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. I really like the way the New Living Translation says it, the same verse. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Man, if that doesn't define today, two are better than one. Two people are better off than one because together we help each other succeed. Maybe you didn't walk into the room today expecting to hear a message like this. Maybe you can care less. But I can tell you, one of the things that we have prided ourselves on here at DCC are our four core values. And, and one of them is dependence. And, and Pastor BJ, I appreciate you reminding me so much in between services when he looked at me and said, Pastor, you're preaching dependence. That's what you're preaching. It's us being in relationship, building relationships that last for eternity, but understanding God's put us together to make a difference on this planet because together we work and we bring the kingdom of God to earth. We get to be a part of the kingdom of God together, working together. Church, it takes a team to find success. And when you have a group of people hoping for, believing for, and working together, goals are accomplished. This is easy to see when watching team sports. I mean, a quarterback, he is only as good as his offensive line. If he doesn't have an offensive line, he's getting sacked every time. In volleyball, an outside hitter is only as good as her setter. You can have the greatest scorer in the NBA, but he is only as good as the team that helps him play defense. Tennessee football is only as good as their referees. I mean, let's be honest. Let's... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still a little bitter today. I'm still a bit. I'm going to get over it. I'm going to get over it. All the Tennessee fans in the room, why are you here? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Church, even the greatest solo athletes don't compete alone. We, we don't notice it. We don't see it on TV. But I'm telling you, the greatest solo athletes, they have a team around them. The best golfer has a caddy that knows the course and helps inform the golfer. He also has a swing coach. I, I can tell you the greatest Olympic swimmer has a swim coach and a physical trainer. They do not do it by themselves. Why would we want to go through life alone and not be in fellowship with God's people? It's dependence, learning to depend on other believers and making relationships that last throughout eternity. The point is, church, we need others to fulfill God's plan in our life. And, and, and God just didn't say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be in fellowship. He showed us by example because God, God works as a team. God works as a team. God, God is triune. It, the Trinity is a team working together. They cannot work outside of each other. You have God the Father, you have God the Son, and you have God the Holy Spirit. And all three work together as a team to, 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 to bring humanity in, into relationship with our Heavenly Father. Genesis 1 and 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, working together to create humanity. 
Let us make man in our image. John 14 and 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, watch this, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So they're working together. Matthew 28 and 19, the Great Commission, Jesus says, go, there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Always working together. God works as a team. The ministry of Christ here on earth, it, it, it involved a team. God used all different kinds of people. Jesus recruited different types of people with different backgrounds to reach this world. He utilized tax collectors and, and physicians, fishermen and, and women and children. Uh, he, he also used the wealthy. He used the poor. He used the influential of society. But he also used the nobodies of society that everyone else counted out. God still used them. And then we get to the Apostle Paul. Paul needed a team. We look at his great accomplishments, and, and God used him to write 13 books in, in the New Testament, more than any other biblical author. It's a great accomplishment. We know that Paul was a, he was a pastor. Paul was a church planner. He was an evangelist. His missionary journeys helped spread the, the good news of Christ to the known world. Paul was very successful. But church, don't be fooled into thinking that Paul did all of this on his own. Though he will go down in history as one of the greatest church leaders ever known, Paul had the help, Paul had the support of many. In his letters, Paul mentions many people by name that, that helped him fulfill his calling. I, I just want to give you a few of them. He named Barnabas. You remember Barnabas. He, he took him under his wing right after Paul was converted to Christianity. He took him under his wing. He, he took him to Jerusalem and introduced him to the disciples Helped him get that jump start in ministry. And, and then Paul mentioned Barsabbas, who traveled with Paul and Barnabas to Antioch to put that congregation at ease. He mentioned Silas and, and young Timothy. He talked about Philip, and he talked about Julius, and, and he talked about Phoebe. Paul talked about this couple, this married couple called Priscilla and Aquila, who were fellow tent makers. That's what they did for a living. They made tents. And Paul said that they were co-laborers with him. And they would allow Paul to stay with them and work with them. Paul mentioned a man by the name of Apollos. And, and he mentioned Luke. Luke was Paul's personal physician. Dr. Luke, Paul's personal physician, and he was also a historian. He was, he was a secretary to Paul, and he recorded Paul's pastoral letters as Paul dictated them to him. Church, Paul mentions no less than 76 different people that helped him to become successful in his work for the kingdom of God, invested in his ministry, this does not include the hundreds that were involved in, in various congregations that took up offerings and helped fund his missionary journeys. The point is, church, to be successful, Paul needed people around him. And I can tell you this, no matter what God has called you to, and he has called you, you too need people around you to make you successful in the kingdom of God. God is not going to promote an individual with, that has no connection to, to the church, that has no connection to fellow believers, because he's called us to work together for the common good of the cause of Christ. It, it's been said that teamwork makes the dream work. And, and there's no better place in Scripture to see this played out 
than in the life of Nehemiah. I'm going to be reading from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament today. If you brought your Bible, you can turn there with me and you can, you can hold your spot there. We're going to read from a couple of chapters today. If you brought your digital device, go ahead and find Nehemiah. For the rest of you, it will be on the screen. But, but let me just kind of set this up for you um, as we look at, at the life of Nehemiah here. What you have to understand is that before Nehemiah was born, because of Israel's disobedience and their, their mistrusting God, they were defeated and, and many of them were taken into exile. They were taken to Babylon. Against their will, they were taken to a foreign nation serving and, and, and worshiping foreign gods. And so you, you've got these people that are no longer in their homeland. And, 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 and as they begin to, to die off, their children that were born in captivity are, are being raised up. And, and, and Nehemiah was one of them. that He was born in Babylon. He was born in, and raised in exile. But God blessed his life, and, and he was promoted, and, and Nehemiah was, was appointed as cupbearer to the king of Persia. This is a big deal, appointed as cupbearer to the king of Persia. And, and one day, Nehemiah gets a visit from a friend. Apparently, this friend has, had visited their homeland that Nehemiah had never been to, and he had visited their homeland, and particularly the city of Jerusalem. And this friend begins giving him a report. And through this conversation, Nehemiah learns that the temple had been reconstructed. It had been torn down, but it had been reconstructed 12 years earlier. But there was a problem. It, they, they were defenseless. There were no walls that were rebuilt around the city of Jerusalem. And, and so the, the Samaritans, who was Israel's neighboring enemy... They were unhappy that the temple had been rebuilt and they had descended upon Jerusalem and they continued to destroy the walls and ransack the city. And every day the situation was getting worse. As they talked about it, the situation was getting wor worse. And this was troubling to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a, a young man that was so concerned about, about his homeland. It was a land that he had never been to, but he was homesick for it. I can relate to that. Because let me tell you, church, the older I get, the more and more I'm homesick for a place I've never been. I am so looking forward to eternity. I'm so looking forward to heaven. I'm so looking forward to being with my Lord and being reunited with family members. The older I get, the more that I appreciate being homesick for a place that I've never been. Nehemiah was homesick for a place that he had only heard stories about. And he was heartbroken over the condition of Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 2, starting with verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the, 12th, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. I want you to notice how he is writing this in first person, so we know that this is Nehemiah talking. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. 
And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, and I think it's important that Nehemiah puts this in this writing here, that the queen was sitting right beside the king. Because how many of you know the king can make some promises, go home to the palace and, and tell the queen, and she can change all the details, right? How many of the queens in the room, you reserve that right, right? Okay. Nehemiah said, this isn't happening. He said, the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Usaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat, remember that name, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night. Now I want you to get this mental picture. I briefly talked about this Wednesday night on, on my Facebook Live Bible study, but, but church, I need you to get this mental picture. Nehemiah gets up in the night, verse 12. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered the valley gate. And so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build so they strengthen their hands for the good work. Church, please, please understand what is happening here in, in this moment in history. Nehemiah is letting, letting us in on how overwhelming this task was. In the middle of the night, he, he gets up, most likely he, he gets on the horse, and he begins walking around just inspecting. He needs to get a good analysis of what he's getting into. And so he begins walking around, or, or riding around rather, and he gets to a certain point to where there's just rub, rubbish. It, it, he can't get by. His horse cannot get by. You know, sometimes we see this in, in the corners of our bedrooms. You know, you put, you put a few books on the floor and, and you're going to do something with them. Then you, you wash clothes, throw them on the bed, but you don't have time to get to folding them. And so you take those clothes and you go put them over there on top of those books. And then you walk in and you take your jacket off and you throw your jacket over. The, and before you know it, you've got this mountain growing over there in the corner of the bedroom. And you walk by it. Every, you've been walking by it for weeks. Some of you, you've been walking by it for months. Some of you, you've got a mountain in the corner of your bedroom that's been there for years. But you know, even if that's not you and, and you're a pretty neat and organized person, I guarantee you there's a drawer in your kitchen 
It's where all the junk ends up. And when you open it, you're like, oh, I forgot about this. I should really do something with this. You dig through it. You get what you need, those scissors or that pen or whatever's in there. You shut it, and you never do anything about it. You know I'm right. That's what had happened in Jerusalem. Every day, they were just used to walking around the same mess, the same rocks, the destroyed wall. And nobody is cleaning it up. This mess has just become part of their lives and no one seems to care. And Nehemiah rides through there in the middle of the night observing all of this. And and, and I'm sure he was blown away and and, and probably overwhelmed because he tells us, "I, I didn't even mention to anyone else who was going to do this work because I'm about to recruit them. They're going to help me do this work. The people living in Jerusalem had become accustomed to the mess Nevertheless, God called Nehemiah to rebuild, but he wasn't going to be able to do this alone. He would need a team. You get over to chapter 3, and he starts telling us what people did. Listen to this. We're going to skip around here a little bit. But Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Emri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Let's go down to verse 13. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Verse 19. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. Verse 26. And the temple servants living on, on Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. Verse 28, above the horse gate, the priests repaired each one opposite his own house. Verse 32, and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Church, I think you get it. I don't have to read this whole chapter out loud to you. But for 32 verses, the entirety of chapter 3, we get the team roster and what positions they are playing in this mission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The, 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 the thing that was so heavy on Nehemiah's heart, the thing God had called him to do, and not just him, but the people of, of Jerusalem, the thing that God had called them to do, now we see where each person is stepping up and they're doing their part in connection with others, serving with others, being involved, being a part of each other's lives, building up walls to protect their people and to protect your neighbor's family and your family. And, 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 and it's just a beautiful sight as you read chapter 3 and you see the team that God assembled around Nehemiah. Working together, they were able to do so much more than if one man just tried to do it by himself. But it wasn't without opposition. It's one of the beauties of the book of Nehemiah because it helps me to realize that any time that you're doing something God's called you to do, you're going to face opposition. I've said this so many times. It's probably been a little while since I've said it, but it probably needs to be said again. But I've said for years, if Satan's not fighting you, you're probably not worth fighting for. 
He's got you right where he wants you. How many of you know when you are operating and you are moving in the will of God and you're accomplishing things for the kingdom, opposition will come. You know this, right? DCC, you know opposition will come, right? All you got to do is go on the Citizens of Newberry Facebook page. Opposition will come, right? You've seen it. You know. About the time I think that some of our opposition has, has e- either just realized that they, they can't do anything, that, that they're not going to win this battle, or I think maybe they died or whatever. <laughs> they pop up again. And there it is, opposition. And let me tell you, let me tell you, and I'll put anybody watching on notice. Anytime that that opposition arises, I know we're doing something right. Because anytime you're moving forward with the kingdom of God and you're accomplishing great things for the kingdom, expect the opposition to come. It's going to come. Anytime God's people work together for a common goal, expect the enemy to show up. And for Nehemiah and the rebuilders of the walls, it was the uh, Samaritans led by Sanballat, who was the governor of Syria. Sanballat, this guy did not like Nehemiah, but more importantly, he did not like the mission. Because a secure and independent Jerusalem threatened Sanballat's hold on the area and his control of the trade route throughout that that region. And and this could be tough on his country's economy. That's, That's the way he was thinking. That's why he tried his best to get Nehemiah to come down off that wall so that he could kill him. He did not want them to accomplish rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So Sanballat drops his differences with some of his other enemies. And they're going to form an alliance against Judah, against Israel, against the people of Jerusalem. And so he calls on the Ammonites to the east and the Arabs to the south and the Philistines to the west. You know, sometimes it amazes me how people that don't like each other will team up against you because you're their common enemy. And these armies and these countries were teaming up Sanballat's talking to them saying, this is going to threaten all of our lives. We've got to go up against them. And the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, it threatened their way of life, and they decided that they were going to threaten them with violence. If you don't stop, we're going to kill you. No problem. Nehemiah does what any good leader does. He puts a hammer in one hand of of, of his army, of the people that are serving, and he puts a sword in the other hand. And he says, you don't come down off that wall. He said, we will serve, we will work towards our common goal, but if they attack, you've got a sword in hand. Some of them had spears, some of them had other weapons, but he said, I'm going to make sure you're equipped. You're going to have a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. That when the enemy attacks, we can stop working with this hand and we can fight with this one. But we're going to be ready. We're going to be prepared. That no matter what happens, we're going to continue serving. We're going to continue working for the kingdom of God. But we will be ready for the attack of the enemy. Let me tell you what my job is for you. My job for you is to equip you. The job of this staff is to equip you. 
We're supposed to prepare you to serve in the kingdom of God. And we're supposed to make sure that you've got the sword of the Spirit in the other hand. That you know God's word. That you know it through and through. And that you're ready for any battle that the enemy wants to come at you, uh, uh, against you with. That when the enemy attacks us as a whole, we stand on the word of God. That no matter what he throws at us, we're ready. We're prepared because we've got the sword of the Spirit in hand. Amen. He prepared his people. No matter what Sam Ballot says. No matter what those armies do, you don't stop working. But you keep that sword in hand and you be ready to fight. God's people do their best work with the sword in one hand and a hammer in the other. Church, listen to me. Two things you don't need to be caught without. You don't need to be caught not serving. And you don't need to be caught without the power of God's word. These two things are what make the church successful. God's people are made victorious because we love and we serve each other and we serve others even outside, but then we also stand on God's word through and through. Church, this has to become who we are. And I believe it is who we are. Amen? Amen? I don't want anybody to mess with that after service. It is extremely sharp. It was given to me by the Maasai tribe in Africa. And I, you will cut yourself. So Pastor Scott is prepared to dropkick you if you get anywhere near that. <laughs> Church, I want you to listen to me. People cannot hinder God's plan for your life unless you allow them to. That's right. That's right. I think sometimes we, we get our, our feathers ruffled. And, and sometimes... The opposition, it, it, it might not always be outside. Sometimes it's inside. It's, it's part of the community. It's part of the whole. Jesus knew this was going to happen. He knew that at some point, get this, human beings with different likes, dislikes, different hobbies and interests, Different personality types. You're talking about a a recipe for disaster? But God called us all to be in relationship, to work with one another. And Christ knew this was going to happen, and so he gave us a formula. It's like you're you're humans, you're working together, you're not always going to get along. And at some point, somebody's going to offend you. Has anyone ever been offended? This week, listen to me. Jesus said, when someone offends you, don't go blast them on social media. Don't go talk to other people trying to to build your support. He said, you owe it to your brother, your sister in Christ. You go have a one-on-one conversation with them. He said, you go and you express how you've been hurt. 
You, you talk it out one-on-one, and if it doesn't work, then you take somebody godly with you to have that conversation. And if that doesn't work, then you get the church leadership involved. And, 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 and he says, this is how we work through stuff. We are going to have problems. Every family has problems. Every community has problems. We are human. And, and, and I'm telling you, at times we're going to get it wrong. But the beauty of it is because we have a common goal of Christ Jesus, we know that we can work this out we can work together and there's nothing that we cannot smooth over I promise you with that church Amen. people can't hinder God's plan for your life unless you allow them to but on the contrary God can use people to help propel you into his plan for your life and so many people try to go through life without God's people listen I look around this room right now and I, I see people right now that I know you're struggling but you have pushed away from the table you, you, you've just decided that those relationships are not worth it. Maybe it wasn't even intentional. Maybe, maybe you just thought, you know what? I, I'm just too busy right now with life. But I'm telling you, to rebuild the walls, everyone has to do their part. I love the part where it said about the priests. That every one of the priests built what was right outside his door. They were all responsible for what was right in front of them. Man, just think what would happen, church, if we all became responsible for rebuilding what's right in front of us. Like, as for me and my house, it doesn't matter what they've said. It doesn't matter how they've hurt me. But as for me and my house, we're going to get plugged in. We're going to rebuild the wall. We're, 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 we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be in communion with God's people. We're going to make, as for me and my house, I can't worry about your house, but I'm going to worry about my house. My house is going to be a part of it. Imagine if every person walked out just like the priest and said, I'm responsible for this part. I will do my part. And we watch the walls be rebuilt. Walls of protection. Walls of deliverance. There's such a great lesson for us to, to learn from the sequoia trees, also known as the redwoods. They're referred to as the largest living things on earth. They can grow to reach almost 250 feet in the air and live for over 1,500 years. But did you know that each tree's roots only grow down to four or five feet deep? It's amazing that how large these trees are, how tall they are, how wide they are, how do they stay standing? with roots that only go four or five feet deep. And the secret is, you will never find a redwood tree by itself. They always grow in community with other redwood trees. And the secret to their success is that they grow their, their roots wide. And they will begin to intertwine with roots from another redwood tree. And sometimes they will even begin to graft into one another to where you can't tell which root belongs to which tree. They're all interconnected. This root system and this community of, of redwood trees, the reason why 
they have the strength to stand against the forces of nature is because of this root system. They can withstand high winds and, and, and raging floods all because they're intertwined together. My God, let us become so intertwined together that, that when, when you celebrate, I celebrate. That when I celebrate, you celebrate. When you're concerned, I'm concerned. Like, you can't tell where Rocky ends and Andrew begins. You can't tell where Andrew ends and Scott begins. You can't tell where Scott begins and, and Zach begins. You know, we could just keep going on and on. I could just name everybody in this room if we're connected. That when I mourn, you mourn. That when you mourn, I mourn. Jesus said, they're going to know you by the way that you love one another. Not the way that you gossip about one another. They're not going to know you by the way that you hate each other. They're not going to know you by the way that you try to avoid one another. They're not going to know you by the way that you will not confront and have hard conversations to work through them. He, he said they're going to know by the way that you love one another. And I can tell you in my home, we love each other enough that sometimes we have the hard conversations. And we don't always walk away from the table agreeing. But we always walk away caring. Church, God has intended our lives to be intertwined. We cannot be separated from the body of Christ. Matter of fact, New Testament tells us that even more so as we see the day of the Lord approaching, that we are to encourage one another. First of all, he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, even more so as you see the day of the Lord approaching. We've got to be together, assembling ourselves together and then we've got to encourage each other to serve maybe you're here and you think to yourself well pastor I, I don't know I'm, I'm not sure if I'm even part of the plan like I haven't made that commitment I haven't taken that step yet and I'm not sure if, if, if God has me included in that plan I can assure you of this he does. He has you here today because he wants you to be a part of the plan. No doubt in my mind. You're, he wants you to be a part of the plan. He wants you to be connected with people and be a part of the plan that he has. But like everything else in life, becoming part of the plan, it's all in who you know. Like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The start of this church... The funding that, that, that we got, it wasn't a lot, but some of the funding that we, we got to start this church, it didn't happen because of me. It happened because of who my father was. My dad had a reputation, a good one, and they knew that they could trust his namesake. In life, it's all in who you know, and I can tell you this, in your spiritual life and in your eternity, it's all in who you know. Because if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not part of the plan yet. 
You're not part of the team. You're not part of the community. But it's not his will that any of us would miss out on that. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you have not been forgiven for your sins, if you do not have eternal life, I'm going to introduce you to the person that can grant that for you. That because of him, we get to be intertwined together. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, please, no one looking around. Please, let's be reverent during this moment. If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise you. It's a very personal decision. It's a big decision. Out of respect for you, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But what I am going to ask you to do is to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I want eternal life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand high right now. I promise you I will not embarrass you, but I want you to raise it high. Someone else. Come on, he's calling you to be a part of his family right now. He's calling you to be in communion. Maybe you're watching online. Do the same thing. Just raise your hand right there. Just an act of surrender. Yes, thank you. two people in this room that said, I need Jesus. I want that forgiveness that you're talking about. And I'm sure there's others online. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now listen, we're about to pray a prayer and to give you the strength, the courage that you need. We're going to all say it with you. We're not going to leave you by yourself. But I want you to say it loud and I want you to say it with all your might. My words make my words your words. Make this prayer your prayer. Church, let's look up to heaven. Let's say it together. Say, dear Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he rose again, giving me eternal life. And today, I make him the Lord of my life. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate all that God has done. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.